0: Many years ago, a gentleman graduated from our seminary. Uh, He was sent out to a very um, needy area, if I could say it that way. I think that's the way I would want to say it, and I think he'd agree with me. It was his first pastorate. And uh, he called me up. As soon as he got there, he calls me up and uh, he says, Bill, I want to stay connected to Grace Community Church he was one of my Bible study leaders and faith builders. And, and uh, he says, I want to stay connected to Grace Church. I want to stay connected to the Master's Seminary. We talked and, and we prayed together. And uh, he had been greeted by this man. I'm going to call him the welcome wagon. Don't want to give his name away. But he was uh, greeted by this man. Not only did he meet him at the airport, drove him home and all of this kind of stuff. And extremely, extremely encouraging uh, when he got there, after a few months, though, the uh, other incidentals that really didn't mean anything and, and the, those kinds of things. And my friend would call me probably about once a week, sometimes more than that. And we'd talk, and we'd pray, and we'd just explain. Uh, uh, these are things that are, you know, they're just getting used to you. Continued for about four months or so with the criticism intensifying. It became a little bit hot at times. Uh, Not only did this man, the welcome wagon, turn off the welcome wagon sign, but he began employing his dissatisfaction with others in the body of Christ. He began to talk to people. Now, he was supposed to be a mature Christian man, an elder in the church even. But he began to turn off other people now to the pastor. The welcome wagon was turned into a thorn in the side. Then the day came where he began to threaten the pastor that he was going to leave and he was going to take his people, his people. My advice, sometimes subtraction is a blessing, and it's okay to just let him go. But he had gained about 50 folks around him. That was a good size portion of this church, and my friend saying, how can I support myself if he takes them? I said, the Lord will take care of that. You don't have to worry about it. And so uh, before he knows it, this pastor, this other pastor, this elder, takes about 50 people and goes off and starts to know the church. Today, it's 20 years later, 25 years later. His church is busting out the doors. He doesn't have enough room. They're talking about going to a second and a third. You know, friend, let him leave. Let him leave. You don't need to say anything about him. You don't need to say anything to him. Just let him leave. If you look at Acts fifteen thirty nine, you don't need to turn there. We have a discussion between Paul and Barnabas, and they have a, it says a drastic or a, a, a demonstrative Um, disagreement and they go different ways it's okay that happens at times that's I believe the best approach you don't need to make it into a big deal but this fellow tried to do that and the people that he took with him began to see that that's why they came back and that's why he's busting out the doors. There is really no really good reason for that man to leave. If the, if, the, if the young man just coming to the church is beginning to get his his feet in on, on preaching and and how to serve some of those things, and I bring this up because the church, any church, and, and by the way, I dealt with men this week, and that's why this was on my mind. I dealt with men crying in my office because these things are happening in their church today where they're having battles because... Sometimes people get what they don't want. They want Bible teaching, but then when they get the Bible teaching, they go, huh? Wait a minute. That's not what I've been having. I've been having these great stories. And I want to go back to the stories. The delicate organism is the church. We call it the body of Christ, and it is the body of Christ. And and sometimes because preaching causes people to begin to examine themselves that begin to think, is this what I really, really want? Am I going to have to be convicted every single Sunday? You see, the church is not immune. This then begins to form what I call the churches of the revelation. The different kinds of churches that you have, depending upon the criticism, it takes you there. And so why don't we turn to the book of Revelation. We've been going through that here for a few weeks, and we've looked at Revelation chapter 1. Now we're into Revelation chapter 2. And and the broad look of Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is that there are seven churches here. These are real churches, folks. These are not made-up churches. They were real in in, uh, John's time when he's writing this down, but they're real today as well. When we could go down the street and pick one out, and go down this street and pick one out, I remember traveling with a friend of mine in in Georgia, and uh, I was uh, teaching for him there. And this one, he was pointing them out, and I went, "It's kind of fun." Can I take the pictures back with me? But no, couldn't do that. You see, the churches today that are in Revelation two and three are a model. They're not an exact representation, of course. This is centuries, centuries later. But they're a model of the various churches that look like then and now here in the future. And these are things that you have to contend with. You know why? Because some of you are not going to remain at Grace Community Church. Some of you are going to get transferred in your work. Some of you are going to want to go visit your grandkids and live near your grandkids. Just wanted to bring that up, dear. Some of those things begin to happen. What church do you go to when you get there? How do you find a church? And I can't tell you how many people come to me, even right here, and they've been looking for church because they don't have churches that teach the Word of God. They have churches that do a whole lot of other things, but they don't have teaching of the Word of God. So in our study here, you'll see that Jesus understands what you're going through and he's trying to give you a picture of these churches. He can articulate the circumstances in these churches, and and we will as well. Jesus knows their pains. He knows what they're going through. Remember a few weeks ago we said, Jesus is among the church, and he knows exactly what we're going through. Jesus knows their shortcomings. He wants to fill in the gaps for you. But he also wants to see that the church would be convicted. Convicted of those shortcomings. Convicted of not growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We're Christian on it, but not necessarily are they Christian. If you have been a follower of Christ for a time, you've gone looking for those churches and, you know, you walk away and you say, that's not a Christian church. The one resounding message Jesus gives us here, whether you have a strong or a weak church, he says this, quote, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's for each of us. He who has an ear, let him hear. We need to hear these messages to each of these churches. And we need to take an account even of our own walk with the Lord to make sure that we are growing with the church or even helping the church to grow. After each message, he go through the seven churches here. He reaches out in grace and says, Re-come. He instructs them to listen to what's being taught. Listen to what's being, how you're being instructed. These are spirit produced scriptures. They give us hope. They give us opportunity. They give us the hope and salvation. This week I had the opportunity to speak in my session on uh, biblical counseling, but evangelism through biblical counseling. How do you do that? Do you go out and knock on the doors and say, you know, I'd like to counsel you? No, it's the people in the church. When they come for biblical counseling, guess what? God has ruffled their feathers and said, go get help. And that's what they need to see it as, in the right direction. That's evangelism. Jesus is doing the same thing here with the churches, giving us this spectrum of churches for us to take a look at. Revelation calls for repentance, folks. Even though we're at the very end, God is saying, repent, repent. Repent. Don't keep doing what you do. You want to have hope in your life? Keep repenting. As we go through the messages to the churches, there's a unified approach, and I love that, that uh, is here. There's a unified approach to each message. There's a cohesive message here, and it's merged into this text, and I'm going to give you the outline. It's, it's um uh, sort of the characteristics uh, of the message it 's the elements of the message that we can look at. There are seven unifying characteristics of this message. How about that? Seven churches, seven characteristics. wanted to make it easy. He says this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. He says that in two one. then in two eight he says this: to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. And he says it again in verse 12, to the angel of the church of Pergamon, write. Then in 3.1, I mean, uh, 2.18, uh, he says this, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. Then in 3.1, he says to the angel of the church in Sardis, write. Verse 7 in chapter 3, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. And then the last one is verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write. So we start off the same way, and each and every um, section there, we start off the same way. The the messenger is saying, write to them. This is an individual. Later when we come back to this, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, but I want to give you the rest of the elements so we don't miss out on that. The second element there is Jesus gives a self-description of who he is, of what he is, of his characteristics, uh, of who and what is going on there. These are descriptive uh, self-description from the vision uh, that we had in chapter 1, if you remember what we looked at in chapter 1. In Ephesus, it says that he holds the seven stars in his right hand. He holds the seven stars in his right hand. In Smyrna, it says that he's the first and the last who was dead and has come to life, telling us that he's risen from the dead and that he has given us life. Then in two eight, we see, I'm sorry, in Pergamum, we see this. <clears throat> the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, remember that's the um, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, it'll bone and marrow, able to get to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the Word of God is for. And in Thyatira, we see who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. If you remember, we looked at that a few weeks ago, and that's about judgment. And he's letting them know, this is your God. He's here for judgment. And then we see in Sardis, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. In Philadelphia, we say, he who is holy, who is True. Another description of God. We see that in verse seven there. Then the last one, Laodicea, the amen, the faithful and true witness. Giving a description, a self description of self as he's going through this. And notice these are in each of the letters. There's a um, self description. Third characteristic is a declaration. It's a declaration declaration from jesus christ himself he says i know your deeds i know your works i know your tribulations i know where you dwell i know what you do again a picture that tells us that jesus sees everything not only does he see everything you do but he sees everything you think you cannot get away with it folks Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says this. Jot that down to take a look at it later. But Hebrews 4, 13 says this. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to his eyes of, of him with whom we have to do. And in the paper, God knows what you've done. God knows when you've opened up that computer and looked at something you shouldn't be looking at. He knows all of that. You may be able to fool those around you, but you can't fool him. So he tells us all of this is open to him. So that's a declaration. Then there's something that depends upon the city, and he has this one uh, thing that he says, but I have this against you. You'll see that. He puts blame. He puts shame on certain cities. And he shows where they've fallen short some city is condemned and then there are others that are named as being faithful and so we do have churches like that so that's the 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 broad section there of what the city depended on or what what they were uh, known for the fifth element is where you have been remember where you have been And remember that you need to repent. Last week, Steve Lawson gave that message out of Romans 9, reminding us about repentance, reminding us about God's work in our life and our heart. And that doesn't change, folks, whether it's written back in the uh, first century or it's written in the 21st century. It's still the same message. It's about repentance. It's not letting your sin get a hold of you, but you getting a hold of your sin. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Mark Jones' book, uh, Knowing Sin, came out. Well, I just started to dive into that thing, and he just pulls it apart. And I got to tell you, it's a good foundation. It's not, a, not too deep. The sixth element is he who has an ear. He who has an ear, keep your ears open. Listen, and the seventh element that there is a promise there. And folks, hold on to this promise that those who are overcoming, those who overcome, they will have, and he gives all different kinds of things that are mentioned there. The tree of life, that not, the second death will not hurt. They have hidden manna. They have a white stone, and I can't wait to get to that to uncover what that white stone is. They have authority over the nations. They're clothed in white garments. There's a pillar and a temple. And this one is wonderful. You will be granted to sit down with my father on his throne. That's a promise to us. So, the seven letters in a nutshell... In a nutshell, we could put it this way. Jesus commends and rebukes four of the seven churches. He commends and rebukes four of the seven congregations. He praises two of them, Smyrna and Philadelphia. He praises. But he also reprimands Laodicea. Reprimands them. Each message has a lesson. Each message to each church has a message It has a message to each member of the church, folks, because there are faithful members of the church, and then there are not faithful members of the church. We have to see that, that you could be in a good church, but not be in a good place. That's the thing that you have to watch out for. The message is practical. The message to the church is purposeful. We'll point out that as we encounter these various churches... Where it's practical, where it's purposeful, where we need to keep that in mind and in our hearts. Revelation two one to the angel of the church of Thyatira, um, to uh, Ephesus, right now, because Ephesus is a well-known church. We've heard it over uh, over and over again. We, uh, if you were in Faith Builders, we studied through the Book of uh, Ephesians. Uh, we see Ephesus mentioned also in in uh, First Timothy. We, I've, it's mentioned in a lot of different places, but especially in the book of Acts. Why would this be the first one? Because I think it's the most prominent church, the most well-known church at this time. These are representative church, the church of Ephesus. Now, to answer the questions about Ephesus, we need to go back to Acts chapter 18. To get an idea of where it got started, of how it was formed, of who was involved, we need to go to uh, Acts chapter 18. Now, we may spend a little bit of time here. And uh, I I just think it's a good foundation for you to have. Acts chapter 18. Look at, uh, starting at verse... 18, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And he had with him Priscilla and Aquila. And then in verse 19, it says, they came to Ephesus. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. That's what Paul did. His His modus operandi was when he got to a town was to walk into the synagogue and begin to teach the Jewish people there. He knew the scriptures well in the Old Testament, was able to speak to them about those things, and and he gave them uh, the gospel at that point. Verse 20, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail for Ephesus. So he's leaving Ephesus now. He goes there, makes this one sort of appearance, at least that's what it appears, that it happened to be one appearance. And he leaves. But what does he do? He also leaves people there. He leaves people there that they can continue the ministry. Now, I think of our missionaries. Think of our missionaries when they go out. If you 10,000 graduates now from our training centers overseas. Only 2,000 graduates from this seminary, but 10,000 there because it's going out further and further and further. So Paul leaves some people there. It's not a seminary, obviously, but he leaves them there. Go to verse uh, chapter 19. I'm going to look at this a little bit more closely and it says it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He found people there that were disciples and he said to them did you you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now folks for us today we know when you become a Christian you receive the Holy Spirit. But here he is he's asking that question and they said to him no. We have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Had not gone to the cross yet, so there was no Holy Spirit to receive yet. But they believed John the Baptist and what he had to say. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And we can go through that. It talks about the baptism there. But look at verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Now, folks, if I uh, was to walk into a synagogue and start doing this, they'd throw me out on my head. That's what they would do because I'm not Jewish, and they can tell just by looking at me just by listening to me. And my Hebrew's not that good anyway. But Paul's there and he's speaking and giving them the gospel. And he's doing it for three months. No, he's speaking out what? Boldly for three months. Reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples Reasoning Daily in the School of Tyrannus. By the way, folks, you gotta get the clue when somebody doesn't wanna hear you. I don't wanna hear you. Years ago, first came to Salvation, went to the DE class, and they had a Saturday DE class, and, and uh, I got matched up with this other guy, and we were gonna go door-to-door in Northridge, and so we knock on doors, and uh, we're giving them the gospel, and, and my friend puts his, when they're closing the door in our face, he puts his foot in the door. And I went, um, that's, that's not what you needed to hear. And I said, obviously they didn't want to hear it, and all you did was aggravate them. Folks, when you get that door closed in your face, take a step back and just say, thank you for your time. You, you don't need to keep your door, your, finger, your foot in the door. I mean, that that becomes irritating. But anyway, I just wanted to give you that aside. Verse 17, chapter 19, verse 17. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them, and all and the name of the Lord was being magnified. What was that? They began to have miracles happen. Paul began to to do things that were seeing people get uh, healed and all all kinds of things like that. And so now the name of the Lord, who did that? God. God does those things. He opens up the doors. Verse 18, closing their practices. These are the people who are actually practicing, okay, I call it devil worship or the, the magical worship that was going on there. And many of those who practice magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. They're, they're burning a lot of books here, folks. Books that supported what they did in their business. Paul's winning people to Christ. Paul's seeing people turn and change. This is the beginning of the church at Ephesus. Ephesus. Paul spent lots of time there. And they're giving up their magical practices. Let's go down to verse 28. When they heard this, what did they hear? Verse 27, goddess goddess Artemis uh, be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. What happened here? When they heard this, they were hearing the gospel. They were turning from the false gods. They became to be filled with rage, it says here. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul is in the midst, not just of synagogues, but now of these other worshipers, magic, false gods. Artemis was the the goddess of fertility. And that was one of the main things there in Ephesus that they wanted to worship. Go down to verse 3. The town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city... Of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image that fell down from heaven. My goodness, this is the place, and Paul's right in the middle of it, and he's teaching there. Somebody said they're leaving California because they, they don't want to be around all the liberal politics, they don't want to be around all of the people that are thinking liberally. I said, folks these are the places that you need to stay because they need the gospel i ran into my friends uh from the san francisco bible church uh during the conference and we were talking for a little bit and i said so have you turned san francisco over yet i said nancy pelosi needs to get saved what are you doing you know they're going "No, no, no no you that's exactly where you need to be wherever you work wherever you live Your neighbor needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. There was a, a battle in the early church. The battle wasn't inside the church. It was against the false beliefs that were outside the church. They were trying to bring the gospel to them. The battle is always with false belief, though, folks. It hasn't changed. This week... While we're having this conference on, there was a cult on this campus, and they were giving out cards, and they were putting them in books down at the bookstore, and they were, they were doing all kinds of things to try to get people to read their material, and then give them a call. They even had a, I, the, the, uh, this hasn't changed, folks, it's not the first time. I've been here long enough to see it happen over and over and over again. They see a big conference, they see Christians there, they want to invade. That's still outside the church coming into the church. Artemis falls out of heaven, but Artemis falls out of heaven all over the place. And as we plunge into the background of this historic biblical city of Ephesus, I'm going to take a little bit more time with Ephesus before we actually get into Ephesians, I mean, yeah, into Revelation. Want to set the table. My wife always tells me it's good to have a nice table setting, you know, before you even get to the food. But yes, that's what we're trying to do here. The simple reason is that we know more about this city than we do all of the others. This city, in a sense, is very important to the Christian church. Very important to Revelation. They were sincere worshipers, but sincere worshipers of a false god. And they got saved. And whether it was in the temple worship or in their homes, they were still worshiping various idols. Folks, do we do that today? Do we have idols? I don't think I'd come in your house and I can find a statue of Artemis. But I think I could find some other idols there. Other things that get your attention. Other things that take you away from reading the scriptures. I, it depends on the home that I go into. Maybe one place it's some music. Maybe in one place it's uh, another kind of entertainment. Maybe it's another thing. But it's there, folks. Bring the gospel to the Jews, but now also to the Gentiles. Paul spent nearly three years there. He poured his heart and his life out for these folks in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, why don't you turn there? In Acts chapter 20, we see his farewell address to the elders. And this gives us another picture of Paul after that three years. And then um, let's start in verse 17, Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So he's in another city. He's not actually in Ephesus, but he, he calls them. They couldn't have been too far away. Come down here. I actually want to say goodbye to you. So that means he probably was going around the area to see the other churches. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know, folks, he loved them and I thought about this on Friday night. Our pastor's getting up there and and he's still not in good health, folks. And he gets up there and he preaches that message, not because there are shepherds out there, because those shepherds used to be here and some of those shepherds would love to be here. That's what he's doing. He's, He's continuing the message, trying to encourage those men, keep in the battle. The days are coming to an end. Don't, don't take vacation. You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. All the time. Verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Not only did he have a building, I guess, of some kind where he taught them publicly, maybe an outdoor public situation, but then from house to house. I read about one of these Puritan guys who used to go house to house. Four, 400 people in his church, and he would just take his horse and just ride around and go visit people over and over and over again. I must have been a Mustang, the only thing I can think oh, of. Solemnly, verse 21, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Calling them to repent. You know, sometimes when you're counseling with somebody and you call them to repent, they call you harsh. Well, who are you to do that? I, I'm not doing it any more than, but that's what we're to call people to do is to repent, repent. And now behold, bound by the spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Notice this happened again. I don't know what's going to happen. God has his plan and I trust it and I trust it. I know that's what Paul is thinking there. Don't know what's going to happen. Verse 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That's the message that we have, folks. That's the message of Revelation. That's the message of Matthew. That's the message of all of the New Testament and, frankly, of the Old Testament them forgives them the jews they go back to the idols he forgives them they go back to the idols verse 25 and now behold i know that all of you among whom i went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face that's not about seeing somebody's face therefore i testify to you this day that i am innocent of the blood of all men For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. You see, and I said this to the class that I was teaching, or the, the seminar I was teaching in. I said I was once a, a candidating at a church. And I asked them the simple question, have you ever done church discipline? And the church said to me, a 22-year-old church. And they thought about it. I said, could you please describe to me what that looked like? Well, we had this couple sitting up didn't do anything about it, I can't come to this church. That's not just thinking about it. You have to do something about it. Those folks could leave and go to hell, but they need to know that they're in sin. They need to be confronted with that. That's what Paul did from house to house. He told them what they needed to do. Paul didn't try to make them happy. He tried to make them holy. Did not shrink from declaring the whole purpose of God. Verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He's giving the gospel right there. I know that after my departure, (laughs) folks, this to me is scary. Every time I read this, it's scary I know that after my departure, savage wolf in among you, not sparing the flock. I saw this picture once of all these sheep, and then they had, you could tell it's a wolf, right in the midst of them with the furry, and he's right there. He's there, that savage wolf. This is the attacks from inside the church. They come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Folks, they're there. Remember I said I, the last time or the last time was in Revelation 1. Folks, you have to know your Bible. You have to know your scriptures. You can't say, well, that's what Grace Church teaches. Don't tell me that. That's what John MacArthur believes. I don't care what John MacArthur believes. What do you believe about the Bible? What do you? What are they going to do? They want to devour you. They want their own little church, like my friend had. The welcome wagon takes his own little church away, and and he does that for a reason, because he's there to pervert them. How perversion in their doctrine, their thinking... Folks, this is real today. It's as real as it's ever been. False teachers, accusers are in there trying to take away the flock. They want to tear it apart. Whether it's parking their truck on your property or not, they want to do it. They want to make accusations. Just imagine a hungry wolf among sheep. Devastation will come to the church. That's what's going on. Acts against the church come from within, not from the outside. They come from within. They speak perverse things. Why? They want to draw away the saints. They want them to follow them. They want those disciples. They want to count them as theirs. Why? That's a big deal. I have no idea but that's what they want. Paul poured his life out for these saints in Ephesus. Paul spent more time in this city than any other. The thing we need, and frankly, the thing we must take away, is the warning to be on guard for the flock. And that's why Bible study leaders need to be on guard. And I've seen my Bible study leaders and faith builders do that on occasion where there'd be somebody in there that shouldn't be in there trying to teach perverse things, under attack from the outside. Satan does not rest. His minions do not rest. They want your scalp. Some of you don't have one, but they still want it. Extra biblical sources tell us that not only did Paul minister there, but John the apostle also ministered in Ephesus. So he's writing to his own church, in a sense. The church at Ephesus is the direct result of the preaching of Paul. That happened around 52, 55 AD. We have no idea how large the, the congregation was because in those days, pastors didn't say, I got 250, I got 300, I got 5,000. They didn't say those kinds of things. That's good. The most important thing was fidelity to the gospel. To be in competition to him, and uh, we're going to try to take his life. Paul was imprisoned in Rome in between sixty and sixty-three A.D., and that's when he wrote his letter to Ephesus. We have one more place. I think of a little bit of time here. First Timothy. First Timothy. Remember first. Remember Timothy. He's the um, as. Paul calls him his son in the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. And Paul is writing there, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Here it is. It's already happening. The strange doctrines are coming into the church and he's saying to his son in the faith, stay there to teach the right doctrines endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. You see, that's what has to be done. You have to have people that teach the right doctrines, that are teaching good doctrine. Now, can I disagree with Pastor John on a couple of subjects? Sure, but they're not going to be the main doctrines. That's not what I'm talking about here. He's talking about specific doctrines about salvation. That particular cult that came in, they believe that you are regenerated by works. That's what they believe. You're regenerated by works. Folks, that is completely off the wall. We have First Timothy 4. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. Folks, I hope that doesn't happen at Grace Church. Folks, I hope that that doesn't happen in your life. 14 says this. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Paul, Paul, right there in Ephesians, writing the letter to them, is saying, don't let that happen. And then he writes in in Timothy to be on guard for those things because it is happening in Ephesus. And then we haven't even gotten to the book of Revelation yet. Haven't even gotten to, to where this begins to work itself out. And it begins to affect the church after years and decades, or and, and whatever it is. You know, I was in seminary, and it's interesting. We we, we looked at history a little bit, and we we're looking at okay, some of the seminaries that used to be in the United States—they all started on the East Coast, of course. And now, if you go back to those great seminaries on the East Coast, they're putrid. There's not even a remnant there. That's all dead. Not mostly dead, it's all the way dead. And then you come across, and and then it fades away and fades away. And the same thing with, and here we are Fuller Seminary. I don't mean to pick on Fuller too much, but it's not that, it's down the road. And it started off good. But today, my goodness, that's the warning, folks. Yeah, we have a seminary here. Yeah, you have a a faithful pastor for 54 years here. But that's not going to always be like that. You have to watch even for those among you. So I can set this. We have here in Ephesians, I'm sorry, Revelation 2. It says to the angel in the church of Ephesus write, We also saw that in verse 11 of chapter 1. It says in verse 11, chapter 1, write in a book what you see. So there's a command here from Jesus to John to write. We see in verse 19 the same thing. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will be uh, and take place after these things. So there's a command to write. And that's what we're going to be looking at for the next couple of weeks. What uh, what um, uh, John has been commanded to write to the church. Folks, next week, I am looking at what Jesus has told John to write to the church in Ephesus. When these letters went out, I always was wondering, does one letter get sent to Ephesus and then it goes to the next one? No, there were seven letters probably that went out and they went to each of them and it was a command. Repent, turn to me, don't forget me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this long introduction of this one letter. Lord God, we pray that our church would remain faithful to the end. That, uh, Lord, when you look at us, you would see that faithful church, be able to declare it, that faithful church. And, Lord God, we pray for the other churches, the men that were here this week, some lovely, wonderful men who love them. I pray that you would give them strength and fortitude and faithfulness in their teaching. I pray this in the name of a blessed Savior. Amen.